Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. There are some people who've lived long enough to have witnessed monumental change. One such person is Phyllis Lyon. Lyon lived in a San Francisco that can be hard to imagine today. Back in the 1950s, the city was no safe haven for LGBT people. Police crackdowns on gay bars were routine. Transgender identity was very much underground. Bisexuality was deeply, deeply closeted. And if you were lesbian or gay, you did your very best for no one to know. And it was in that San Francisco that Lyon and her longtime partner Del Martin did something radical. They created an underground community for lesbian women, one that would lay the groundwork for the LGBTQ civil rights movement to come. The arc of change that they'd seen, going from being criminals and outlaws to being married at City Hall by the mayor... I mean, that's a pretty amazing arc. On Thursday, Phyllis Lyon died of natural causes at her home in San Francisco. She was 95 years old. Today, we remember an icon of San Francisco's gay rights movement. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Welcome to the Bay. Coming to San Francisco was like my life moving from monochrome to kodachrome, you know, full color. The fact that so much was here, that there was so much culture across a whole range of identities, and the fact that icons in the LGBTQ community lived here just blew me away. Kate Kendall is the former executive director of the National Center for Lesbian Rights. She first met Phyllis Lyon and her spouse, Del Martin, in 1994. Yet when I met them, I remember having all those feelings of awestruckness and overwhelmness. And yet they were so down to earth. And they were excited to meet me because I was the new legal director at NCLR. They loved NCLR, had supported the National Center for Lesbian Rights from the time of its inception in 1977. And so right away, they put me at ease and made me feel really comfortable in their presence, which, Mm -hmm. you know, not every icon will do for you. Phyllis and Dell were such an interesting uh, juxtaposition of each other. They were kind of like mirror images. 
And it was true that Dale tended to light my cigarettes, okay? But uh, that was as much as she got sometimes. <laughs> Phyllis was much easier to laugh and to smile. Dale was resolute, she was serious. Dell knew how to have fun too, but she was definitely the more stern one of the two. And Phyllis just had this twinkle in her eye where it looked like at any given moment she was gonna get in some sort of mischief. I remember thinking, well, now let's see, I gotta get up and get Dell's breakfast every morning because that's what mother did for dad, right? So I did that for a week, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> because she just looked at the world with such wonder and joy. They were such a formidable force as a couple and the contributions they made in founding the first lesbian organization, publishing the first lesbian uh, newsletter, magazine. And I think individually they were, would have been less effective activists and advocates than they were together. Phyllis Lyon was born in Oklahoma in 1924, and she first came to the Bay Area in the early 40s to study journalism at UC Berkeley. In 1950, she was living in Seattle when she met Del Martin, and the two of them moved to San Francisco together three years later. One really has to understand what it was like to be an LGBTQ person in the 1950s. Well, first of all, a queer identity wouldn't even be called queer. That was still, that would be a slur. If anyone knew about any identity that was outside of the gender spectrum or the sexual orientation spectrum of heterosexual identity, you would absolutely lose your job. You mm. would absolutely lose your community and your family. In most places in the country, you could be thrown into jail uh, for violating laws that criminalized same-sex sexual intimacy you could never walk down the street or the sidewalk holding the hand of your partner, but it was, it was a crime in most places to identify as LGBTQ, and the police enforced this. They raided bars all the time. They would publish people's names in the newspaper. They would do everything they could to shame you. In the midst of all of that, Dell and Phyllis founded the Daughters of Belitis to make a connection with lesbians around the country. And this is, of course, long before cell phones or the internet or anything like that. You know, it wasn't until 1964 that there was an organization that used the word homosexual, gay, or lesbian or something in it. And the idea was that by calling ourselves the Daughters of Belitis, and people would, lesbians would know what it meant, and uh, nobody else would. Belitis was supposed to have lived at the time of Sappho. And it could appear like we were just like any other women's lodge. They found a way to, to have chapters around the country of the Daughters of Belitis to help lesbians not feel so isolated, not feel so alone. A lot of women came to DOB who had been uh, either abandoned by their families or had been, had electroshock therapy or had been thrown into mental institutions. Daughters of Belitis did all of those things, and at a time when there was huge, huge risk. There were all kinds of rumors, right? DLB was for couples only, or, and then there was the one about we had orgies. And then, with the and then we, were we were communists, communists. right? The courage of Dell and Phyllis can really not be 
overstated. Phyllis and Dell were both journalists, so writing was a big part of their activism. In 1972, they co-authored a book called Lesbian Woman. At the time, there were barely any nonfiction books about the everyday lives of lesbian women in America. They also self-published a newsletter for Daughters of Belitis called The Ladder. You know, this is before, you know, you could just go down to Kinko's and get something printed. You know, they typed this on a typewriter at the kitchen table of the home they lived in in San Francisco for both of their entire lives. They typed it out painstakingly and then, you know, found a way to mimeograph it and put it in the mail in a brown paper wrapper to members of the Daughters of Belitis around the country. And there are still, many of the articles were written under pseudonyms. She had been publishing articles in the Daughters of Belitis under this pseudonym, Anne Ferguson. And she writes this article saying Anne Ferguson is dead. And she was killed with malice aforethought, premeditated. And because she said, I'm, not, I'm no longer gonna hide. I'm no longer going to hide behind a pseudonym. I am Phyllis Lyon. I am a lesbian. This is me. And again, you know, that just, that is a kind of courage that I do not believe I would have had given the same time frame. And so I am very grateful that they did because they made my life as a lesbian uh, so much easier. Over the years, other political, more uh, justifiably militant organizations came to the fore and Daughters of Belitis sort of faded because Dell and Phyllis recognized we're less about political activism, even though they did some of that, we're more about lesbians being able to come together socially. But if lesbians hadn't been able to come together socially with the Daughters of Belitis, there wouldn't have been the next generation of more militant and openly brazen uh, lesbians who refused to any longer be in the closet. You know, we were trying to help lesbians find themselves, you know? I mean, you can't have a movement if you don't have people that see that they're worthwhile. <laughs> the list of contributions from Phyllis and Dell is lengthy, but one of my favorites was their participation in the freedom to marry. This wasn't a fight that they thought was a priority. They saw marriage as essentially aping the patriarchy and that it wasn't good for women generally, and they didn't see it as being necessarily good for LGBTQ people. But when Mayor Newsom in 2004 began issuing marriage licenses to same-sex couples, I asked Dylan Phyllis if they would be the first couple to marry. The call was me calling, Phyllis answering the phone, and me asking Phyllis, will you and Dell do one more thing for the movement? would you and Dell be willing to be the first couple married? And Phyllis says to me, well, let me ask Dell. And I, and I hear her talking. You know, she sets the phone down. I hear her talking to Dell. She comes back and she says, we'll do it. And, you know, it wasn't a very romantic <laughs> proposal for Phyllis to make to Dell, but, uh, but they said yes. We are gathered here in the presence of witnesses for the purpose of uniting in matrimony Del Martin, 
and Phyllis Lyon. Except I'm Phyllis and she's dead. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> and the image of them getting married on the anniversary of their 50th year as a couple together at City Hall went around the world. And I think what they came to understand, because then they were able to marry for good when the California Supreme Court in NCLR's marriage case eliminated the exclusion of same-sex couples from the right to marry, they married for good in 2008. And between 2004 and 2008, what they both came to recognize was how important marriage for same-sex couples is in establishing lives free from stigma. As long as the government can discriminate against our love and refuse to allow us to marry, we will continue to suffer under stigma and we will continue to have a loss of dignity. And so they became marriage activists mm. uh, because they saw government discrimination in our relationships as a huge barrier to us being able to live full and complete lives. It is my extraordinary honor to pronounce you spouses for life. I'm thinking about this San Francisco Chronicle photo of Phyllis and Dell. It's, it's like a super sweet photo. They're holding onto each other. You can see their foreheads are pressed to one another. They're wearing these like fly pantsuits <laughs> and people are clapping in the background and you're among them looking very emotional. And I'm curious what witnessing that moment was like and what it has meant to you. I remember thinking in that moment, who gets to do this? Who gets to witness this with these two amazing women knowing that we really were kind of blowing the doors open uh, when it came to the fight for marriage for same-sex couples. And those pantsuits that they're wearing, the, the turquoise one and the lavender one, are, are now at the LGBT Historical Society in mm -hmm. San Francisco. Um, these iconic pantsuits that they, they wore them in 2004 <laughs> for that picture, and then they wore them again in 2008. And Phyllis joked, they didn't, they didn't fit as well because we'd shrunk. <laughs> <laughs> and it's actually true. They had both shrunk a little bit. <laughs> You, of course, have been an activist yourself. Um, you have more than 20 years of experience working on LGBT rights. Uh, what are some of the lessons that you felt like Phyllis really wanted you to learn? I think the, the main lesson that I learned from Phyllis, well, it's twofold. One is it's always worth fighting, that nothing is ever hopeless. And boy, their, their lives and their work were certainly an example of that. The arc of change that they'd seen, going from being criminals and outlaws mm. to being yeah. married at City Hall by the mayor of yeah. the city. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's a pretty amazing arc. And we owe a debt to people who demonstrated uncommon courage to get us to a better place. And then we pay it forward. I want 20 or 30 or 40 years from now, the lives of LGBTQ people to be even so much the better, mm. where it's hard to imagine that, that you would even still have places where people could be kicked out of their families or their churches or their communities based on their sexual orientation or their gender identity. I, I, I absolutely want no more murders 
of transgender women, particularly transgender women of color. I want that to be the future, but we have to be doing that work now to guarantee that future in the same way Dell and Phyllis did their work to guarantee us the lives we have now. And the second thing is more personal, and that is to, to, live, with some, to live with joy and to live with wonder. Even though Phyllis was suffering from serious dementia, and, and you would have the same conversation with her multiple, multiple, multiple times, but every, each, in every one of those same conversations that for you you knew was a repetition, Phyllis was hearing it for the first time and was just excited about it. I remember when uh, her 95th birthday on November 10th of last year, and we kept telling Phyllis that it was her birthday, and, and every single time she would be like, but wait, it's November 10th? And we'd be like, yes, it's November 10th, it is your birthday, and you're 95. And every time she was like, wow, I'm 95? <laughs> and then one, one time we told her again, this is like that maybe the 10th time we'd repeated it, and, she, and we said, yes, you're 95. And her response was, far out. <laughs> and so it, it made me appreciate how great it is to just live in the moment because that's all she could do. Her default was, was joy. It's an amazing lesson and I think it's why when she finally did go she went a little bit on her terms she was at her home she was surrounded by loving caregivers she went peacefully and I I'm not a particularly religious person but I know she and Dell are dancing again they held crazy dance parties at their house for many many years with a bunch of women and I know that they're dancing again and with, with Phyllis exuding that same joy that she demonstrated for all of her life. Kate, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure, Erica. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for remembering Phyllis with me. On Friday, Kate and other close friends gathered for a memorial over Zoom. They played songs from the 50s that reminded them of Phyllis and Dell, like Tenderly, which was one of their favorites. To have everybody come together to acknowledge her passing, but also acknowledge how well she was cared for, and to be able to thank those caregivers was, I think, for me, the the highlight of the gathering. The evening breeze caressed the trees, Kate Kendall is former executive director of the National Center for Lesbian Rights and a longtime friend of Phyllis Lyon. Kate wrote a tribute to Phyllis in the San Francisco Chronicle. To read it, check out the link in our episode notes. I also want to thank the folks at the Making Gay History podcast for letting us use some of their tape. Their host, Eric Marcus, interviewed Phyllis and Dell back in 1989. This episode of The Bay was produced by Marisol Medina Cadena and Alan Montecilio. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Devin will be back on Friday. Thanks for listening.
Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of The Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.